All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Acts chapter number 13. Acts chapter number 13. As we think about missions and it's, you know, the Lord has brought in two consecutively that are going to uh, parts of the world where things are a lot more difficult and, and uh, freedom to uh, do things in, in a way that we would, you know, traditionally go and reach and church plant and things of that nature. Um, and so, you know, I think I was thinking about that while he was talking and while I was watching their video. You know, I, when I was young, it was kind of understood. There was a lot of understanding that a lot of places in the world that, that it was, uh, there was going to be persecution or opposition. Uh, I think a book that every Christian that should read, it's just an old classic book on missions called God's Smuggler. Uh, that's beyond our way of thinking. If you've not ever read that book, you can find it easily enough. It's still in print. It's got, the, the author is simply known as Brother Andrew, uh, but it's a story of a man that worked behind the Iron Curtain that smuggled Bibles into places where countries where Bibles were not allowed. Uh, you know, and then after the Iron Curtain fell, it kind of became uh, outside of the realm of and the scope of our thinking that there would be places where uh, you could not take the gospel, or you could not take a Bible, uh, and so certainly there, you know, there's there in the period of those years there was a lot more freedom um, in a lot of those countries, but that's in a lot of places being restricted again, and you're seeing an emphasis and a resurgence of uh, communist governments and and other governments and Muslim governments that are kind of taking over and putting pressure uh, in those areas. And I remind you, and he alluded to this, Jesus said, "I will build my church." Uh, and the building of his church is not restricted by anything that man does. Uh, God has wonderfully built his church throughout those years. It was what we would refer to as an underground church in a lot of countries. Uh, and I think as you see that and you hear and some of these missionaries that come through, the understanding of how God worked behind the scenes and the miracles that God did in people's lives, even during that time in the 50s and 60s, the, area, the years following World War II, uh, to give some insight as to what a lot of these missionaries that are going overseas are facing today. Uh, and so I would encourage you to do that. If you can't find that, I know I have at least one copy of it, but if, you've, if you cannot find it and you're interested in that, I'll be more than happy to help you uh, locate a copy of that so that it would, it would just help you kind of understand what's going on. You know, persecution is not anything new to Christianity. Uh, Christianity was born in persecution, and we're going to see that some this morning. If you would uh, take your Bibles to Acts chapter number 13, Acts chapter number 13, if you found your place there, let's stand together as we read our text and let you stretch your legs and we'll honor the Lord's word. We'll read just the first five verses. We will look at some other passages here. Uh, and so Acts chapter number 13 and beginning in verse 1, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menon, uh, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted, and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. 
And I want to speak to you this morning on this topic and this thought, missions in motion. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, Lord, thank you for uh, the freedoms that we're afforded here to be able to come and openly preach and proclaim the Word of God. Uh, Lord, I fear that in the days ahead, it, it, sets, it stands to be restricted somewhat. Uh, Lord, but in many places of the world, it's completely restricted. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to, Lord, not just appreciate those who are willing to go, but understand our responsibility to reach those around us here. Uh, and Lord, then to partner with those that are going elsewhere. Lord, I pray that you would help us to uh, to understand that. May our hearts be open this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, that you would uh, work in the hearts of your people this morning. Help us to gain an understanding. Lord, many of our folks here this morning are new, new to the concept of missions and how it works and uh, why someone would leave home and go to a faraway place. Lord, I pray this morning uh, that you would use this message to illuminate our minds and our hearts, to educate us on how you work and call and Send and support your people as they go out and serve you around the world. In Jesus' name and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We started last week by uh, looking at the commissioning of the church and, and seeing how God uh, not only uh, formed the church, but gave it a mandate, gave it marching orders, if you will, uh, to reach the world with the gospel. Uh, it is not something that is, uh, you know, it was for a time. It is for all of all of the rest of time until the Lord returns. And so we are to be uh, busy doing the Lord's work. We are to reach the world with the gospel. That begins here at home. It begins here in Baytown. Uh, it's hypocritical of us to uh, support others that would go around the world if we're unconcerned about those that need Jesus here at home. As a matter of fact, when you study the scripture and you look at what Jesus commanded, he did not command us to start to the uttermost. He commanded us to start in our Jerusalem. Uh, and so we need to be busy and active in investing the gospel and investing in the gospel here in Baytown, which is our Jerusalem, and then in Judea, the surrounding areas. And uh, we're doing that with a church plan in Houston and the Lord willing in the early part of next year and uh, and Bible studies already ongoing there every week. And, uh, and so we praise the Lord for that. But then beyond that, around our nation and, and regions that would be close by uh, would be our Samaria and then to the uttermost. We cannot neglect one uh, and feel as if, well, we do a lot for missions, so then that alleviates us of our responsibility for all of the other. Uh, no, it's one commission. It's one command. It was given to the church, and uh, we are to be engaged in all of that. Now, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 gives us that mandate. And so how does this manifest itself? And that's really what I want to focus on. What does that look like practically in the church? How do we know that the methods that we employ are biblical methods, methods that God employed. And I think that it's important that if we would rise to the occasion of reaching our city, reaching the, the area around us, and ultimately supporting missionaries to reach the world, and even people within our church answering a call to leave home and to go and carry the gospel around the world, uh, that we need to understand biblically the example and the precedent that's been given by God in his word in the early churches it's formed here. Now, uh, it, it, he starts that here and he begins talking about this church at Antioch. Antioch 
is a city in ancient Greece, which is which was located in modern day Turkey. Uh, and so geographically, country borderlines have, have changed somewhat, uh, though many are similar. Uh, but if you were to go to Antioch today, you would have to travel to uh, the modern day country of Turkey. Uh, and you would see there, uh, you know, the, the way that, that that has developed and what Christianity has become there and largely a Muslim country now. The church formed in that part of the world when we had to flee from Jerusalem. And so when Jesus was crucified and then resurrected and then he spent those 50 days teaching the disciples before the ascension and working with them and uh, and then giving that commission as he again as he ascended uh, and then the church came and Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit was given and uh, those people trusted Jesus and we've learned on uh, on Sunday nights as we're working our way through the book of Acts how uh, God saved those three thousand and then uh, Peter and uh, and John uh, reached uh, another four thousand as a result of the healing of uh, a lame man there and uh, and so persecution came. And persecution came in the form of separation of families and uh, murder and imprisonment. And so it was not a light persecution in the sense of it wasn't just that they were mocked or that laws were passed that restricted their meeting. They were legitimately separated. Families were torn apart and people were executed uh, for for naming Jesus Christ as their Savior. The result of that is that many in Jerusalem begin to flee from Jerusalem. Uh, You see that. You see it politically in the world today. You see it whenever military actions take place. You can see it in uh, that part of the world that we're talking about here around Antioch in in, uh, northern Syria when uh, just this week in the news where uh, there are many who are what we would call today refugees that are fleeing from a war zone. Well, essentially, the church at Antioch is made up of people who are fleeing from the persecution in Jerusalem. They were on the run to preserve their lives. They were on the run to maintain and keep their families intact. But they were not forsaking their belief in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Uh, And so they have gone there. Now there are some other cities that are listed here uh, also where uh, they went. But they're coming there uh, to flee from this. and, And it shows that they are completely committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, if you would, hold your place there and turn back just a page or so to chapter number 11 uh, of the book of Acts. And we see here actually the formation of this church, and it details here uh, what I am uh, describing to you. Look with me, if you would, in verse number 19. Uh, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word uh, to none but the Jews only. So they're careful about who they're preaching to. They're still worried about persecution as they move forward. They're moving into the synagogues. They're preaching to other Jews. The gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ, Stephen is referred to here, has been executed. And at his execution, there was a young man, a young persecutor by the name of Saul, who the Bible says was consenting unto his death. I personally believe that that means that he gave the order, that he was actually in command. You can disagree with me of that uh, if you like, but if you study it out historically and the way that they operated, they brought and laid their cloaks down. They took him out to the place of stoning which in their culture would have been uh, a pit 
where they would have been able to put him on uh, in a particular place where the accuser could stand up, take a large stone and throw it down and, uh, and knock him essentially unconscious early on in the process and then everyone else would consent. We know that Stephen preached a powerful sermon there in which, uh, which those that were in opposition to God were enraged and, uh, and he was stoned and this caused and stirred up this great uh, persecution and that's what he's talking about here uh, whenever he says uh, that the, the persecution that arose about Stephen uh, and then they traveled and so they're there in verse number 20 and some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene uh, which when they were come to Antioch spake unto the Grecians preaching the Lord Jesus. And so they flee Jerusalem. They go up into Antioch, this particular group that we're focused on now. They begin to preach in the synagogues there to other Jews. Then these other men come and begin to expand the gospel message to all that are in the community and begin to share what Jesus has done. In verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, uh, which was in, was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. And so uh, the church is persecuted. The people begin to flee the city. They go and disperse. The uh, group that ends up in Antioch begins to preach in the synagogues. Then some other men come. They begin to preach, and others begin to trust Jesus as their Savior. The church at Jerusalem uh, learns of this, and they send Barnabas to go and essentially to take oversight and to form this church. And so Barnabas begins to uh, teach and to be, uh, and his name means the son of consolation. He's one who uh, comforts. He's one who uh, teaches and exhorts. In verse 23, and when he had came, who, Barnabas, when he had came, uh, had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. So what do you do in a time of persecution that you cleave to God? Times of sickness, times of, of, of question, times uh, of insecurity cleave to the Lord. And so he begins to preach to them and to bring healing and to help them get established. In verse 24, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Now that's really an amazing statement. And it's an amazing statement because this Saul that he is leaving to seek is the same Saul that persecuted them in the first place. The same Saul that uh, I believe gave the order to execute Stephen. The same Saul that tore men from their uh, families and imprisoned them and had them executed. But we know in chapter 9 that this same soul met Jesus on the road to Damascus and his life was converted. And now uh, immediately after that process of his salvation and then uh, his, his establishing and then the scales being removed from his eyes and being accepted in and then ultimately uh, being let out of that wall in a basket so that he can escape persecution of his own, uh, that this same Saul, this same persecutor, and understand now this group of believers that are in Antioch, the core of this church that are there are now having their pastor that was sent from Jerusalem go to Tarsus to get their persecutor and bring him there. There's a lot of anxiety. It would be a lot to cope with, but they have 
faith and confidence. They believe that God can change lives. They know that God has changed their lives and truly uh, Saul's life has been changed. And we know that he becomes the Apostle Paul. His name changes, his ministry changes, and he forever carried the idea that he owed a tremendous debt to these people because of his persecution of them. Matter of fact, Paul carried such a weight of responsibility and guilt that he even late in his life uh, referred to himself as the chiefest of sinners because of the sin of persecuting the church. But God in his grace and mercy reached out and saved him and changed him. And notice verse 26, And when he had found him, Barnabas, finding Saul, He brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. What kind of an impact could a persecutor who has been transformed by the power of God have on the people that have now trusted him as their Savior? What kind of an impact could a man like Barnabas have being sent from Jerusalem, having survived the persecution and staying through the persecution to love and to lead and to help in the church there, Uh, then being commissioned by that church to go to Antioch and to teach and to take oversight and then being led of the Spirit goes and gets Saul and brings him in and for a year they labor together. For a year they teach and preach together. For a year (coughs) they meet and minister to the people there uh, for that time together and the the impact was so great and the life change was so dramatic that everyone in that community that looked at them said they're little Christians they're little Christ so they're just like a little Jesus would to God that that would be our testimony Uh, that our testimony would be one of such that life a change happens so dramatically that we came to a place where everyone that looked at us said, you know, that is in my mind and my vision of what a real Christian ought to be. Church is established. Barnabas comforts the afflicted. He seeks out Saul and then assistance is sent to the church at Jerusalem. Notice in verse number 27, and in these days came prophets from Jerusalem to Antioch. So they're having an old-fashioned revival meeting. About as old-fashioned as you get, a prophet named Agabus comes. And there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And so now this prophet comes, they have a revival meeting, he preaches about this great drought that's going to come and more affliction that's going to come, not now in the sense of, uh, of a man and a government persecuting them, but uh, a, a drought, and, and so something that's natural and that is going to cause them to have to endure hardship and to go without. And what is their response? 
It is to send their persecutor and the pastor that was sent to them from Jerusalem back to Jerusalem with gifts, with an offering to help sustain the church that established them. That's a little beyond our thinking. That's not really uh, the, the practice of what we do in, uh, in our churches today. I don't know of too many missionaries that have gone out and are sending support back to their home church. But that's what happens here. And so there's a great need and God's people are rising to the occasion to meet that need. So what do we learn from this? Who, what's special about these men, Paul and Barnabas in particular? What uh, is the process in which God has led them uh, to, to be in a position? Because the significance of the church at Antioch is, is that the apostle Paul on all of his missionary journeys, he was sent from Antioch. This is his sending church. What we would refer to today as a missionary's home church or sending church like we are for uh, Brother Reuben and Miss Valerie Marigio, like we are for uh, Brother David and Miss Adriana, we are their sending church. We are their authority church. They are starting this church and their church is under the authority uh, of Victory Baptist Church. They have been commissioned and sent out uh, by the ministry that God has established here as the church at Antioch was established and commissioned from the authority of the church at Jerusalem and now is ministering back. They send them out. Paul is going to go. Now, they, the first place that they send them is back to Jerusalem. They are sent on a mission back to Jerusalem to take this offering, to be an encouragement that the persecution that you have suffered and that your endurance has given birth to other churches, that has given birth to the spread of Christianity <coughs> throughout their known world. So what's, what, how does the process work here? We're going to see that this morning. I want you to consider, first of all, that they were summoned. Back to our text this morning, chapter 13 and verses 1 and 2. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene uh, and Manon which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereinto I have called them. And I would say this this morning as we begin, that they were summoned, they were called. We would use that terminology today. Whenever I was a teenage boy, God placed his call on my life to preach. That was a burden that God laid on my heart. He confirmed that burden with preaching and with scripture until I surrendered and answered that call and then pursued that course of life and uh, as my life work and, uh, and, and went after that. And that's the, the case of missionaries that are called they are not going because they simply want to go uh, the bible says if any man off or desire the office of a bishop he desires a good thing but just desiring it does not qualify us to go we must be called we must be summoned the Holy Spirit here summons them. So there's a couple of, thought of thoughts about being summoned by God or called. First of all, consider that the call was a call by God. Verse number two, uh, and they ministered to, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate unto me. Their call is not a call of men. It is not a call from man. It is a call from heaven. It is a call from the Spirit of God working in their lives. But I want you to notice about that well pastor that's wonderful i would like to go how does god call someone what what is the criteria by which god would call and i believe that we see that here uh that god called the separated 
God did not just randomly call them. God did not just look out amongst the crowd of the church at Antioch and say, hey, I think that you've got great potential. Let me call you. Now, certainly there would be exceptions to that. The Apostle Paul uh, would be the the greatest one in my mind that, that comes out where Jesus went to him already knowing what he wanted to do in his life. He has a plan for your life this morning. Whether you're willing to surrender and submit to answer the call that God has for you or follow the will of God for your life, there is a plan. Not every plan is engaged. Not every plan is enacted. Not every plan is responded to positively. But there is a plan. So what caused God to look down and say, the time is now, it's your turn, it's time for you to move? Uh, What is it that they did that caused God to call them? And as they ministered, they, they were devoted to service. They had already separated themselves from the general populace of the church in that they were not just attending, but they were serving. And God does not call those that sit back and, uh, and just uh, simply wait for uh, God to say, hey, I choose you, let me go out and do something great in your life so that you can get a lot of man-given accolades. No, God looked down to see who was busy. He looked down to see who was, uh, who was uh, engaged in the ministry. What are they doing here? <coughs> they're seeking uh, primarily two things here. I believe they're seeking God's direction. Notice that they do not go off on their own. They go seeking God. God, what would you have us to do? They did not move until God directed them, until God sent them off. We say, well, Pastor, how do you know that they're actually seeking that? Because they're fasting and praying. You don't fast and pray just for the, uh, just for the sake of doing without something or going hungry. You fast and pray whenever you are seeking something. Whether you're seeking an answer or you're seeking God's power or seeking whatever it may be, uh, they are separated here and they are called, uh, God called those who were serving. They served together as we've seen already for a year. For a year they've been here preaching and teaching. For a year they've given themselves to the community. For a year uh, they've shared the gospel and they've brought uh, new converts in. And so they were called by God. Let her be, they're called by the church. So God called those that were separated and those that were serving and then the church responded to God's call in their life. It is not God called, that they were called by the church in the sense that the church looked out and said, hey, uh, this is what you're to do. But these men had expressed a devotion to God in which they would stand up in the way that we would see that in our church as if a young man uh, would come forward and say, I believe that God has called me uh, to preach and that we through observation and prayer and training came to agreement that God's call was on his life then we would license or sanction him to go out under the authority of the church. Uh, And then that may not be exactly the way that they would frame it or that they would certify it, but it's essentially the same process here. The call was confirmed. The church confirmed the call on the lives of Paul and Barnabas. The church looked at them and said that God has done this in your life and we have witnessed for a year God working through you. Our lives as a church have been impacted by your walk with God and by your teaching and by your preaching. And if God has called you, then we acknowledge that. The call was confirmed. And then they were ordained. The call was ordained. 
And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. They've been confirmed and they've been ordained. Secondly, this morning, see that first they were summoned, then they were sent. They were sent. They didn't just go out on their own. They didn't just take off uh, on a whim. They didn't just uh, go out on their own uh, authority. They went under the authority of the church of Antioch. They were sent. How were they sent? Well, we see here in verses 3 and 4, uh, that in which we just read again, uh, that when they had fasted, so they were sent out with prayer. How would we send out a missionary? How would we send out a church planter? How would we send out someone that we've commissioned to uh, go into uh, maybe the prisons, which we have several that we that were in jails and prisons in the area? How would we uh, how would we go and activate that? What does that look like, Pastor? Well, it, it is uh, when we are sending them out with prayer. Why why do we send them out with prayer? Because we're not seeking the will of man; we're seeking the will of God. We're seeking God's direction. We're seeking. What God has set forth, what is it that God desires? Where uh, would God have us to go? What would God have us to do? What is the goal? What is the objective? What will be uh, the method? <clears throat> you know, and there's uh, there are a lot of places and a, a lot of churches that would say, hey, uh, if your method is anything other than uh, traditionally going and just establishing a church, uh, then then that's not missions. They can't do that in the country that they're going to. But they've still been sent. They still have a commission. They still have a ascending church. They still have a ascending agency. They still have an obligation. And may I remind you uh, to those that would hold to that thought process that Jesus said that I will build my church. And it doesn't matter if it's a dump outside of the city of Ulamatan in Mongolia or if it's uh, or if it's in some place where the church has to hide in secrecy and meet underground in places where it takes maybe three or four hours for people just to assemble to have a service in which they must have a service that's silent almost and uh, where the, the, the teaching is very quiet and the prayer is very quiet and they must matriculate out just as long of a process as what it took them to get there, that that is no less a church than what you witnessed this morning because Jesus Christ is at work in the hearts of men growing and making disciples so that the gospel can be carried to every creature and it all starts when they're sent from a church, sent with prayer, sent in God's direction. Listen, the method's not always going to look the same from generation to generation. The method's not always going to be the same from culture to culture. And I'm, by the way, when our culture dramatically shifts, it's no different than adapting to a culture that may be a million mi- or a thousand, thousands of miles away. That the, the message has to be given in a way in which people are willing to receive and to hear without compromise of biblical truth and principle. It must be adapted to those that it's given so that they can receive it has to be put in their language it has to be put in context of their culture it has to be given in a way uh, in which uh, the gospel can be furthered but it is not a missionary that builds a church or a pastor that builds a church or a church that builds a church it is Jesus who builds his church they were sent 
They were sent with prayer. They were seeking in their prayer God's direction and they were seeking in their prayer God's power. What you've seen on display from the very beginning of the book of Acts to this point is from the moment that the Holy Spirit is given, from the healing of those that are lame uh, to to the preaching and having thousands come to Christ in a single sermon, the impact is the power of God, not the influence or the, uh, or the charisma of man. And what we need this morning are churches and people who are coming together, seeking the direction of God and the power of God in their life that we can be sent out. It's no different than when we gather on a Saturday morning and are sent out by Victory Baptist Church. Pastor, but you're the one sending us because I'm the under-shepherd of this body of believers, but we're going because the chief shepherd has told us to go. We are carrying out his orders. We need not go randomly. We need to go strategically. We need not go always doing everything exactly the same way that some other uh, paper or ministry has dictated that it be done, but following the leadership and the guidance of the Spirit of God. Listen, I'm all for knocking on doors, and I'm all for canvassing doors, but there's not anything wrong with getting creative in how we present the gospel either. And we need to use every tool that is available to us in our day and our time to communicate the message of the gospel in a way that people are willing to hear that Jesus Christ is God and the Savior. And the reason that that's significant is because we are wicked sinners who deserve to be separated from him in hell. But he in his love and mercy has sought to bring us back to him, to reconcile us to himself, to make atonement for us so that we can be made the sons of God when we place our faith and trust in him and receive his forgiveness for that sin. What are we doing here? We're seeking the direction of God, but we dare not go in our own power. We must always also seek his power. We're sent out with prayer, but they were also sent out with purpose. They were not just sent out, okay, well, this is going to be good for you to do. Just just go out here and just do whatever. They were sent with a purpose. Verses number four, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And we don't have time to get all in through the book of Acts this morning and the rest of the New Testament, but we know that the Apostle Paul from Antioch goes on three separate missionary journeys. And the result of the first one is essentially the preaching of the gospel and the establishment of churches. But the the ministry of the second and the third is not just to preach and to establish, but also to correct the error of established churches, to encourage those that are already serving, that are doing things well, uh, to help them to be strengthened, to help them uh, fill vacancies in their their pastorate, to help appoint the people that are the right fit, to help them uh, do and carry out what God has given them to do. My point is simply this this morning. They were sent out with a purpose. What purpose? Well, we know that they were sent to the church of Jerusalem to be an encouragement. Agabus had come and said that there's going to be a great drought and they're going to have great need. They've endured great persecution. Why were they sent? They were sent to be an encouragement. Listen, we ought to always be seeking to be an encouragement to those that are in ministry. Whether it be a church planter here at home, whether it be uh, our own church staff, whether it be a missionary on a faraway field, look to be an encouragement uh, to those that are serving uh, and feeding and encouraging you. Not only were they sent to encourage, but they were sent to establish. Certainly, church planting is a part of what they were commissioned to do. 
It is only natural that as the gospel is preached and people receive Jesus as their Savior, that they will rally together to worship Him. That they would collect in groups, regionally, locally, where they are, to serve Him. They were sent with the purpose of encouragement, of establishing. They were sent to exhort, inspiring and correcting error. Inspiring those that were doing things well and commending them and encouraging them and then correcting the error. We see that in the Pauline epistles. We see how he writes to some, encouraging what they're doing, commending what they're doing well. And he writes, particularly the church at Corinth, scathing letters of great rebuke and error that's crept in and setting things straight. On two different occasions, they were sent to exhort. Thirdly, this morning, I would ask you to consider that not only were they summoned by the Spirit of God, but they were sent, but they were also supported. They were not just sent out and told to fend for themselves. They were not just sent out and said, okay, this is what God's called you to do, and we're sending you to go there, but you're going to have to figure out how to make it work. They were supported. How were they supported? Well, first they were supported with prayer. And almost every missionary that you have come through tells you that more than the financial support, they covet prayer. We need to be praying for our missionaries, but we also need to be praying for our Sunday school teachers and for our own pastor and for our staff. And we need to be praying for uh, evangelists and, uh, and church planters around our own nation, around our Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea. We need to be praying for certainly those missionaries that are out there as well. But they were supported by prayer. Listen, they as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, they're praying. But they were also supported with provision. Should have noticed in Philippians, and there are several examples in the scripture for sake of time this morning, we're just going to look at this one. Supported with provision. The church at Philippi was a blessing to them as in the Apostle Paul as he is out on his journeys. In verse 16, or verses 15 through 17 in particular, he says, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel... Uh, when I departed from Macedonia, no church with, communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. And understand this morning that we have an obligation and a responsibility to support our missionaries with prayer, but we also have an obligation and responsibility to support them financially. You understand when they go to these countries that in most cases they're not even permitted to work? A church planter here, a pastor here goes and the church doesn't do well or struggles or it takes a while to get off the ground. Uh, push comes to shove and worse comes to worse. They can always go out and get a part-time job or a full-time job or whatever's necessary uh, to support themselves. But many of these countries, whenever you go there, especially if you're able to go on a missionary visa, you have to prove that you have income. You cannot go there and take their jobs. I know that's a novel concept to us as Americans. We, we like for people to come and take our jobs. But uh, most places in the world don't allow that. They have to go support it. They have to raise enough support to do the work that God has called them to do and to support their families at, at, at a level 
that is appropriate for the nation to which they've been called. Sometimes a, a common question that missionaries get from a pastor is, how much are you trying to raise every month? A lot of missionaries are scared to answer that question because a lot of pastors think that they're supposed to live in poverty. You don't have to worry about that with this pastor. I remember asking one of our missionaries, a missionary that we currently support that's working in the city of London, and he very reluctantly, under great pressure, told me what he had to raise. He had to raise $10,000 a month. Well, his, his rent's probably $2,500 a month, at least. Our resident, temporary resident English person tells me this morning. It costs a lot of money to live in some places. We ought not begrudge whenever they tell, listen, they ought to be able to live honorably in a way that, you know, in some cultures that, they, that missionaries go to, they have to live in poverty because the people won't receive them if they don't live like they do. In other parts of the world, they have to go and they have to live well because the people that live in poverty won't receive them unless they live the way that they perceive Americans live. Missionaries have to understand when they're going someplace what is going to be expected by the populace so that they're willing to receive the message that they're going to preach. The point is that they go, and Paul said it this way, he said, I've become all things to all men that by my be all means win some. Be appropriate to the area and the region where we're called, but they're supported. They're supported with provision. There are times in the New Testament when the Apostle Paul speaks to that provision as, hey, you have provided me lodging. There are other times whenever it was, as here in Philippians, a financial gift. But they were supported. What I would say this morning is that we as a church and as, as a pastor that realizes that we've got a lot of newer people in our church since the last time just since this time a year ago, that, that missions is a whole new concept to you. Understand that what you see here in, a, in a, an old school Baptist church, a biblically believing Baptist church, is that we have missionaries come through. You're not just sending it to someone that you never see. They're here. They're accountable. They're seeking God's direction and guidance for their life. Why? Because God called them. They've been summoned. They're not going because they just don't have anything better to do with their lives. They're not, they're not going because his eight older siblings scarred him growing up and he's trying to escape. They're going because there is a call from heaven. So Pastor, why would God call? Because there are people that need to hear. Because it's God's will that not any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. They've been summoned. They've been sent. But listen, we have a lot of missionaries that come through our church. I get phone calls every week from missionaries, far more than we can allow to come, seeking support. And it's a process of prayer and connection and and, and doctrine and belief systems and methodology that allows us to kind of select, okay, God, who would you have us to invite to come and to present? But why are they here? Because the church, one church cannot afford. Most churches, believe it or not, as small as our church is, it's larger than the average church that's like us. We, we can't take the two missionaries that were the sending church and send them every dime that they need 
they have to go out to churches like us and to raise support. Why? Because they have been summoned by God and they have been sent for the purpose of communicating. And we have to realize that as they've been summoned and they've been sent, they also must be supported and it's our responsibility to help support them. What does that look like, Pastor? How do I do that? You just want more money in the offering plate. Well, in a church like ours, what we give to missions is completely separated from all the rest of the church budget. What's given to missions goes to missions. Takes care of our missionaries that come through like today. Supports a missions conference or a meeting. But by and large, the vast majority of the, I believe, $40,000, $45,000 that our church is giving to missions this year is going to missionaries on the field or on their way to the field to support their need. So, Pastor, how do I, and we'll get into this more probably next week as far as the process of how do I make that decision. But what we do is we simply pray and we ask God prayerfully, every individual believer, God, what would you have me to give in the next year to missions? What do you want me to give, Lord? Doesn't factor into what I give in my my tithe. It doesn't factor into my regular giving. But on top of what you've commanded me to do in the Bible, to, to give to those that are going abroad, Lord, what would you have me to do? And as God leads, and God lays a figure on your heart, you by faith step out and begin to give that as God gives it to you. And they're supported. And their needs are met. And sometimes a little extra money even accumulates so that if they have an emergency, we can help. Those are all wonderful things. But I want you to understand this morning, especially if you're new to Victory Baptist Church, and especially if you're new to a Baptist church, that the reason that we operate this way is not because we just concocted some scheme that works, but because we see it in the Bible. But because God has laid out a plan. God has laid out a purpose. God has laid out and given his direction as to how he wants to go about using the local church to reach the world with the gospel. A couple of questions this morning for you and we'll be done. You know, a lot of times we come together in a place like this and we look out and we say, okay, uh, man, I'm sure glad that God called them. I'm glad God didn't call me. You know, really, our attitude, especially if you're young this morning, should be, God, would you please call me? God, would you please use me? Just a couple of questions this morning. First, let me ask you this. God called them because they were serving. Will you serve? Do you want God to use your life? Serve. It doesn't mean he's going to call you to leave America and go someplace else. But if you really want God's blessing, if you really want to make an impact, if you really want God to put his hand upon your life so that your life makes a difference in the lives of others, the best thing that you could do is surrender yourself to him and just begin serving. All right, pastor, sign me up. Where can I serve? Well, I don't know. It depends on what your call, what your gifts are, what your skill set is. It might mean cleaning toilets. It might mean mowing grass. It might mean watching children in the nursery. It might mean teaching a Sunday school class. It could mean a whole lot of different things, and it should mean uh, things that, especially if you're uh, new and God's using you, that God, listen, God gave every person here special gifts and talents and abilities, and he gave them to you, not so that you could use them to make a living, but so that you could use them to impact lives for eternity don't waste them will you serve 
Understand this morning that if I'm saying, yes, pastor, I will serve, that what I'm saying is, is that I will allow God to mold me into whatever he needs me to mold, to mold me in, to make me qualified to serve in that realm. Will you serve? We do not serve the Lord at our whim and by our own demands that are at our own, uh, at our own inclination, but according to what God has set forth. My next question is this, would you be sent? Are you willing to be sent? Every Christian should have this attitude. God, if you called me, I'll go. doesn't matter how old I am. It doesn't matter how broke I am or how wealthy I am. If you call me, I'll go. If you call me to go to the nursing home, if you call me to go into the prisons, if you call me uh, to go to, uh, to a faraway place, whatever it is, God, if you call me, I'll go. See, we're not really surrendered if our attitude is, God, I'll, I'll go if you call me any place but there. All right, God, I'll go as long as you don't call me the Dominican Republic. I'll go to Thailand, but I'm not going to India. Okay, God, I'm available for the Philippines, but the Bahamas, you can forget it. It just got wiped out by a hurricane. <laughs> if that's my attitude, I'm, I'm not really surrendered to him. And God cannot truly bless and empower the Christian's life until that Christian is willing to serve, until that Christian is willing to be sent. And the last question is this, will you supply? See, not every Christian can go. Not every Christian will be called to go. But every Christian can supply. So, Pastor, you don't understand how broke I am. So give what you can as God gives it to you. It doesn't matter if it's a dollar a week. Let it start there. Pastor, by the time I do this and by the time I tithe and by the time I'm doing these other things that I'm learning to do, listen, it's not about how much. It's about doing what God tells you to do. Ask Him. That's what missions is now that works. Ask Him. They prayed. They sought the Lord's will. They sought the Lord's direction. They were summoned and they were sent and they were supported through the church. The church was serving. The church was supplicating and praying for them and the church was supplying as they went to the uttermost. Would you this morning be willing to say, Father, if you call, I'll answer. The answer is yes. Whatever you call me to do, work in the nursery, sing in the choir, be a greeter in the lobby. Teach a class. Whatever you call me to, God, I'll do it. Whether it's here at home or whether it's far away. God, if you will call me, I'll answer. God, if you send me, I'll go. God, I'm seeking to know what you would have me to give. And when you tell me, I'll give it. And when we do that, God's church explodes. The gospel gets everywhere that it needs to go. And the result is that Jesus built his church.